Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, LifePoint Church. How is Second Service doing? I love you too. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Andrew Garcia, if you do not know who I am, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church. And if you're new with us, maybe in the room or new with us watching online, thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing LifePoint Church. And can I just say, welcome home. We have been waiting for you, and we are privileged that you would choose to be with us here today. Now, our lead pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers, are going to be taking a well-deserved sabbatical this month. So if you haven't had the opportunity to hear our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Danny Rivers, speak, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Come back here in August to hear him in person. You can go check out our social media platforms as well or our podcast, but do yourself a favor. Be here in person. He's an incredible speaker, and we are so incredibly blessed as a faith community to have pastors like Danny and Rachel Rivers leading over us. Can we just honor our pastors for a moment? Let's show them some love. They are so incredible, and we are so privileged. And to all of our LifePoint family throughout this month, as you think about them, do yourself a favor. Please do them a favor. Pray over them. Pray for for rest for their souls, for courage, strength, clarity, for what God has next for LifePoint Church, um, because they, they need it. And this is such an incredible weight that they carry. And I just want us to rally around them in prayer and cover them. So we are jumping in today to a series that we've been in over the last five weeks called Gym Class. And we're jumping right into the portion of scripture that we're gonna be reading today because the message that we're getting from James is so simple, yet so very deep. And if ever, if ever there was a message that we needed to hear. The words that we're gonna be reading from James today need to permeate our hearts. Like we need to sit, we need to soak it in because they're so, it's so rich. And what's kind of interesting about James is, maybe you don't know this, but James was the half brother of Jesus. And for you to be able to call one of your siblings, if you have siblings, the, you know, a servant, you're being their servant. Like I'm, I am willingly saying I am your servant to my brother or that you're saying my brother is actually God. Like they would have had to have done, done something like pretty incredible, <laughs> kind of like coming back from the dead. So James is saying, hey, when I talk about Jesus, I don't just see him as my sibling. I don't see him as my brother. I actually believe that he is the Lord, God incarnate. And when we read the letter of James, there are two important influences that we should note. And the first one is that James's teachings were loaded with, with, with being backed by Jewish wisdom literature. And this is going to be, uh, James grew up studying like books like Pro. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, literature focusing on finding and asking for God's wisdom for how to pursue the best life possible for ourselves, for our community, in the world, in everyday living. And this bleeds out in his letter. It's actually why the letter of James is nicknamed the Proverbs of the New Testament. And then another heavy heavy influence is that the letter of James is significantly highlighting the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And James quotes or alludes to Jesus' famous teaching about 25 times, making up about 75% of the letter. And it would seem that this is James's kind of own uh, commentary on Jesus' teachings. And so when Jesus was speaking, 
his Sermon on the Mount, he was actually explaining to his disciples how to live out the kingdom of God within everyday life. In other words, how do we walk in the power and presence of the kingdom of God, not as we think it's coming in the future, not waiting for it, but living it out today, practically? You see, James heard Jesus say things like, you are, a light, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He would have also heard Jesus say something like, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, the day that Jesus comes back, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this is, that's, that's like heavy. I can like feel the tension in the room. But messages like this would have marked James because he would have learned to see that faith and faithfulness are the same thing. Faith isn't some mental assent. Faith is acting in obedience with your belief. And faith finds footing when we take small acts of obedience and trust and step out on God's word. And Jesus' words would have lingered in the ears of James because he knew all too well the warnings of Jesus, that it wasn't enough to claim to know God's word, that you actually had to be doing God's word. He knew that faith wasn't just about a believer in God. He also knew that faith was about us in God and us in others. And so James is speaking to us straight, using simple words and rich concepts with a clarity and an urgency that only a pastor, somebody who really cares about the condition of his flock, would say, would do. So we're going to dive into James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. And James starts off, know this my beloved brothers. And there's something, there's something about these opening words that should soften our hearts to what James is actually about to share. Because you see, James, James was someone who was acquainted with the hardships of life. Like we're literally coming off of the heels of the message to us that he gives on trials and temptations and the testing of our faith in life. And James knows that most of us and you know this, most of us live fractured lives. We are so much, we are so compromised. We are so much more compromised than we would ever like to admit. And James, hearing the teachings of Jesus, knowing how challenging it is to live life, knowing how challenging the moral standards of Jesus were, that God's moral absoluteness was so perfect that it feels impossible to play out or measure up to in the reality of our life. James, knowing that the heart is deceitful above all things, which is why he writes, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, which he probably should have said bridle his thumb, some of you, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Yet the gospel, the gospel was the good news that through Jesus, God's mission of restoring fractured people can be complete and God can make us whole. And James knew Faith requires spiritual fitness. 
When it comes to faith, it requires spiritual fitness. There are practical head and heart exercises we have to engage in to strengthen our soul and mineralize the soil of our heart. Because our heart is a container of the seeds in the soil from our environments, from our thought life, and what we allow in, what we allow to settle is going to grow, whether we want it to or not. And this is illuminating. Because James, armed with the teachings of Jesus, his, his, his foundation and wisdom literature, creatively and pointedly lays out wisdom principles for us to grab onto, reminding us that faith is both an internal and external process by which our identities are completely and fully transformed, where the soil of our heart should be tilled, prepared, and watered to receive the life, the new creation that we get to be, that we find in Christ. And there's this word that James uses seven times in his letter, the word perfect. And that can be a little misleading because in Hebrew or in Greek, the word means, actually means wholeness. Right? Living a completely integrated life where your actions are consistent with the values and beliefs you've received from Jesus. And that was the end to which James is working. That we as believers need to live our lives fully integrated. That our words would match our actions that would be consistent with what we believe in our hearts. And James is saying, hey, God's word is reflected in man's work. Faith is being faithful to do. Outward demonstration reflects the inner life. So know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And right off the bat, what stares out at me is a pace, because for most of us, our pace is a problem. We move through life at this incredible speed, downloading all this information, reacting all the time because we don't take enough time to sit back, to rest, and to let things settle, and to think things through, and to think it out. Our pace is a problem. And James is telling us that when it comes to our faith, our faith is worked out in two parts, with others and with God. And I get this sense that when James is, is writing this down, that in his mind, he's quoting several passages in his head from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> that's, a, that's a proverb for sure for somebody, myself included. Proverbs 13, 3, those who control their tongue will have long life. Open your, opening your mouth can ruin everything. You ever experienced that? When you say something, you're like, I can't get that back. Proverbs 17, 28, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. And then Proverbs 29, 20, there is more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. Make your kids memorize that one. As believers, wisdom points us towards a need to listen well to others and to listen well to God. And it's intriguing here because it's almost like James is saying listening to others removes the anger and arrogance that keeps us from doing God's spoken word in Scripture. 
Listening to others removes the anger and arrogance that keeps us from doing God's word spoken to us in scripture. Well, what do you mean? Let me explain it this way. When we take the time to love others well, which was a central message that Jesus taught, remember? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a tall order. Like some of you fail doing that today. It requires so much more from us than we really, really ever anticipated. The words are easy. The actions are hard to live. And what's incredible is when Jesus said this, he didn't, it wasn't conditional. It was without condition. You love them regardless of how hard it is to love, regardless of how the, the fact that they vote differently from you, look differently from you, talk differently from you. You love your neighbor, period. When others speak words that we don't welcome, words of disagreement, Criticism, dismissal, defending the other side of truth. You ever notice how easy it is for us to just like respond in anger, especially when we feel like the stakes are high? But doing so usually makes our position worse and discredits or does damage to the witness that we are as Christ's servants. How much better is it for us to just trust that God can defend his own position rather than letting ourselves get angry and having hasty speech? Oh, but come on, James, truth is truth. Yes, except that we don't have all truth. And our fundamentalism is not as whole as we think it is. We just need to say that. I am not as right as I think I am. That's an exercise we should do every morning. And the truth is, we shouldn't kid ourselves. Like, I've heard people say, like, oh, I'm just being angry for God. Like, really? Can you... We, we can't, that's not how it works. We cannot defend God's word better than God can. God can speak for himself. Our anger promotes and usually defends our own agenda. And more often than not, anger produces a still and stubborn resistance from other people. If you got kids or a spouse, you know that's true. And I'm a little broken because I'm the kind of person that likes to argue just for the sake of arguing. I like verbal jousting confrontational intimacy is like my thing. Yeah, that's a word and I got problems. <laughs> but the emotional jousting never, it doesn't benefit. It doesn't move anywhere. Because there's a work in me, there's a work in you that God is more interested in. And human reproach isn't going to change the human heart. Human reproach is not going to change the human heart. And God is working out our faith internally through others externally. And God has more to teach me and God has more to teach you than we could ever teach others. And faith, faith is an exercise in patience and patience is teaching us how to trust. Because when we slow down, when we learn to trust and obey God, adjust, adjusting our life, adjusting the speed of our listening and speaking, then we say, God, you are truly in control. And we can actually take the time to step back, to learn and to lean into others, to learn and to lean into our own circumstance. And rather than shooting from the hip, we can speak words with kindness, with clarity. We can respond in a way that's helpful rather than a way that's hurtful. But when we speed up our pace, we express our doubt that God is in control or, our data, our, our, or just our dissatisfaction with the process that God is working us through. And this speeds up our mouth and this slows down our mind. And we're deceived into believing that through our own strength, our own volition, our own 
fancy words that somehow we can change or convince others to do something different. And as believers, we shouldn't be obsessed with outcomes. We shouldn't be trying to manipulate other people attempting to ensure that we're heard or understood to get what we want. When we act to our immediate desires, when we act on our immediate reactions, our lack of control is exposed. And when we feel like we're losing control, have you noticed how angry we get? How impatient we get? How much love and mercy and grace we lack? The very love that Jesus says, love will mark you as my disciple. Yet when we're too fast, when we're not moving, when we're not slowing down, when we react too quickly, we mess up. And James is not commanding us to never feel anger. Anger is a human emotion, and it can be justified. However, James' instruction is very clear, that we can learn or at least pump the brakes on our angry responses. And when we do that, we in fact let God know, I am choosing to believe that you have control that you love me, and that you are good. And James continues, therefore, or for this reason, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness this agricultural term. And sometimes the Bible makes it so easy for us. It gives us, it's a gift when the Bible just makes something clear. And this is a clear call to action. The picture here is stripping off dirty clothing to put on something new. This isn't simply behavior modification. This is a conscious action, belief that is originating from a renewed heart. And I can imagine in this moment, when James is writing this this letter, he stops, he puts his pen down wrapping his his hands around his head and he can recall the parable from Jesus, the parable of the sower, which tells us how the seed of the word is sown into the hearts of men. That through the prophets and preachers and above all else, through the life of Jesus himself, God sows truth into the hearts of men and the man who is wise enough to receive it and welcome it is blessed by it. Yet James recalls Jesus saying, Quoting the prophet Isaiah, you will never, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have their eyes closed. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. And then he recalls Jesus saying, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone who hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one has come and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. Because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, the word that they've received, they quickly fall away. And the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil 
refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. James, writing to us intently, recalling the words of Jesus, remembering the literature of the Proverbs. Keep your heart with all vigilant, for from it flows the springs of life. You've heard it said, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Our heart is the container where the soil of our soul is placed, where God's word will either grow deep and rich in our soil, or the seeds that he drops are going to fall on dry and barren ground and get taken away in the troubles of this world. And those who receive the word of God first need to make the choice to put the filth off that they know is separating from them and God. These are the people who are continually, intentionally spending time tilling the soil of their heart, allowing the word of God, the seeds of scripture, space to be sown. The right kind of soil. It's a decision that we make. Because while the power of sin is broken in the life of a believer, the presence of sin remains until we go into full glory with God. We have an old nature. The soil of our heart needs to be protected from the weeds of sin. And if God's word is to do its work, we must choose to put off who we are for who Jesus says we are. To willingly receive God, to open the door of our heart and say, please come on in. And this brings us to the meat of James' message. Because James James is about to take us to school. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now let me break this down the only way that I know how with math class because I hate math and I bet you you do too. Do you remember when the teacher would put up a new problem on the board, a problem like this? X minus three equals Y. Super simple, right? You're like, oh, teach me. Teach me teach, right? So it's like, okay, we want to solve for X so we're going to add three to this side, add three to this side, Minus three plus three gives you zero. So X plus zero equals eight plus three, which is 11. Oh, wow. X equals 11. Simple, right? Teacher would be like, see how good I am? Like, it's a simple problem. You probably did some homework, so you kind of got an understanding. And then they do this to you. Now I want you. You ready to solve a new problem? We shake our head yes. And then they throw up this. If X and Y are real numbers, and 3X plus Y plus 2X plus 2Y to the I equals 13 plus I 10, what is Z if Z equals X minus 4Y? Because this is how life actually works. How many of you guys realize that? <laughs> By the way, the answer is zero. Don't try to solve it. I just know the answer. I don't, I'm not going to work that out. Forget that. But how many of you know that's, that's what happens in life? There are simple principles, but then when it comes to the real world, so many other new variables get thrown into the equation, and if we're not doing our part to work out the simple problems daily, to to work on the simple truths, the practical applications of what it looks like to walk out and walk in faith, when we encounter the real problems of life, we have no idea what to do. 
and we look at it as if we were never taught how to. And the problem is some of it's on the teacher, but then you actually have work to do. You actually have to carry the weight of your own faith too. And this is what James is saying. In theory, things are easy. It's easy to listen, but then when you have to leverage, ooh, son, that's another story. When you have to put it to work, faith takes practice. And it's easy to read the word. It's easy to hear God's word. But whether we're reading God's word or hearing God's word, we should be intentional to understand it's going to expose things to us like a mirror, things that we need to change. And it's our job to follow through on faith, changing and dealing with those issues and deficiencies. We have to follow through. We have to be a hearer and be a doer. It comes together. It's a whole package. Don't be somebody who walks into a space where God's word can be received or new life can, can, can be had, but you walk in and walk out unchanged, unfazed. You open your word, you read it, and then you close it and walk on and continue through your day. That's like looking in a mirror, seeing a problem, and doing nothing about it. Don't let that be your version of faith. And the truth is, what kind of a fool does that? Oh, when we're honest, I've done that. If you were honest, you've done that. And James is saying, don't do that. Live and walk intentionally. Because when you do, God's word says, you are like the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. You see, James knows his audience well. His audience is well-versed in Old Testament law, and they also believe in Jesus. And so what they would have known was that the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Christ, and that Jesus was the declaration of righteousness and salvation, the offer of peace, the pardon for our sin. So then through Jesus, law and liberty are found. And this was the gospel message. This is the good news. But while the Old Testament law was holy, righteous, and good, the law itself had no power to enable sinful people to conform to it. But with Jesus, the one who fulfills the law, the one who brings liberty and life through the word of the gospel, now... In relationship with him, we get a power in the partnership through the Holy Spirit, God's presence in us. A believer's advocate to help change our hearts. This is what Ephesians says, that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, he may grant you, me, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness, the fullness of God. 
And James is saying, I'm not trying to sell you on rules and instructions. James is saying, do you not see the the love that God has for you? Do you not see the price that he paid for you? That's the only way that we can understand biblical freedom. You see, James wrote that God's law is the law that gives freedom. And Jesus says that following God's truth is what sets us free. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, abide in my word, hang out, rest, take time to soak up my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what we read in the book of Hebrews is that when we put our faith in Christ, God writes his law on our heart, not chiseled or with ink, but in his spirit, with his spirit, and that creates freedom. And what this means as followers, as believers, the picture that's getting painted is like people who are newly in love, enabled to see the will of God not as crushing confiding or, or some kind of burden. We begin to see and want to love God. We see there's like a list of what God loves and what God hates by which we come to please and be in relationship to him. And this law gets written on our heart, meaning that we get to freely do what we want to do most, which is love our redeemer and following through on his will. And have you noticed that when you're in love, that you take the initiative to discover what the other person likes or dislikes? and then you act on that, you go all out to say and do the things that delight him or her. You're doing, whether you believe this or not, their will over your own, yet you gladly accept the limits of that. Why? Because you've put your joy and your happiness into their joy and their happiness. You're happy to the degree that they're happy and you've come to discover the pleasure of giving pleasure. And you don't know, you don't follow their will to get something out of it as a means towards an end. It's an end in itself. And this is what James is saying, how the ultimate relationship with God works. That when a believer grasps how God has emptied himself through Jesus on the cross, emptied himself of his glory, took on the weight of our sin, took a beating on his back, went to the cross, nails in his hands and in his feet. There's something about that that should move us, that should break us, that should humble us. And inwardly we're moved to want to please, know and resemble him. And when we walk out that love, it becomes our perfect liberation and we move from hearing to doing because we want to fully embrace the image of the one we love. And James is saying, so what we do is we slow down. We slow down in our relationships with other people, in our relationship with God, we have got to learn to slow the speed of our lives down, stop rushing through, take the time to be present in the moments, to be present with others, to be present when you're reading your word, set time where you can soak and abide. 
then you will re- you, you'll, you'll give yourself the space to receive what it is that God's going to have for you, to receive the mirror that's going to be looking back at you. And as you see the inconsistencies, the issues with the character that's in you that God is trying to work out of you, hear it and then do it. Be a hearer, be a doer. And I think James, as he begins to to wind down his letter, would think of these words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And as the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And James is saying, I don't want that to be you. Hear God's word. Do what it says. Slow down and receive it. Can we bow our heads? Heavenly Father, you are in this place, God, right now. And God, James is writing to those who believe, those who claim that Jesus is Lord of their life. And God, if we're honest, so many of us don't take our faith journey as seriously as we should. We actually don't take you very seriously when we don't actually listen to your words and soak them up and allow them to change our lives. And so, God, I ask that in this moment that you would prick our hearts, that you would remind us that you are present and you need us to show up, that you're willing, but you need us to put in some work. What we believe should be expressed in the lives that we live. God, help us change us from the inside out to embrace you fully, to have the full life that comes, the full freedom that comes. And we don't just read your words, but we do what it says. Help us to step out daily, small acts of obedience, small acts of faith, as you transform our hearts and our minds. In your name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.